Good morning. How are you all doing? Nice to see you. I hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving. I want to welcome special guest musicians, Prevailing Winds. Lovely to hear you all this morning. I want to extend a special welcome to our friends and members, and especially our visitors. Since 1870, the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society, so you are welcome just as you are. Before I go on to make more announcements, I want to invite up Joyce Schneider to make an announcement from the refugee resettlement efforts. Okay, we'd like to thank all of you that attended the, um, the first Lunch and Learn that we had a couple of weeks ago regarding re- welcoming refugees to Wausau. And uh, we do have a follow-up meeting planned, and that's where we're going to explore and decide to what extent we want to commit to co-sponsoring a family. Um, we are also looking at the option of possibly joining with St. Anne's Church in doing this. If you weren't able to attend the Lunch and Learn, you can still attend this one. Um, and it's going to be the December 5th, which is next Sunday. It will be shortly after we finish the annual meeting. So I hope you can join us there. There's an ECDC planning worksheet that is on the table out in the atrium. If you take a look at that and uh, come prepared doing the first column throughout the sheet to get your thoughts done ahead of time. It will save us time and make things move along much more rapidly. We hope to be able to look at page eight, which will kind of give us an indication as to whether or not we're able to continue this on our own or if we should look at other ways that we can help the refugees. Thank you. Just to amplify a couple of those notes, so note that next Sunday, December 5th, right after the service, is the annual meeting. The packet is available online, and I think there are some physical copies for those of you who want to take one home to read it. And then also, if you would RSVP for next Sunday's refugee resettlement event, it'll help us plan the food that we'll use to feed you. And so with that... Let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. The words are printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth. Please rise in spirit or body for opening hymn number 349. We gather together.
would please stay standing for our affirmation. The words are also in your order of service. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. Nardoxology. Our church is a people-powered institution. Our work, our ministry, our justice work couldn't be accomplished without the generosity of folks like you. So I invite you to give generously. You can make a one-time gift to the church online or in a basket in the back of the church. You can set up a recurring gift. Whatever you give, I thank you in advance. I invite you all now to join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. I encourage you to put both feet flat and firm on the ground.
If it is your custom to pray or meditate with your eyes closed, you're welcome to close them. As we make our way into silence together, become aware of the people who this morning make our congregation. Your beating heart, your breathing lungs, a sunny day. God of mercy and justice, in this time of waiting, of not knowing what will happen next, people are filled with grief and sorrow over disasters that have already come with fear of what is coming upon the world. We hear of great storms and strange viruses, of climate change rumored to destroy the life that we know. We hear of governments challenged, of new nations recognized, of threats of war and conflict. We hear of economic troubles, less money available to help those in need, while more and more people live without food or shelter or hope. Trusting in your promise, we pray for peace in our homes, peace on our streets and around the world. We pray for leaders both here and in every country that they will make just decisions and be a blessing for all the people whose lives are affected by their decrees. We pray for all who live in sickness or in pain, for those who grieve and those who are dying for those who have asked us to pray and those who cannot pray for themselves. And now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our hearts and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please remain seated for our prayer hymn number 1031 in the Teal Hymnal, filled with loving kindness.
I changed up the planned reading I had. I'm going to read, rather than William Bradford um, and his uh, Plymouth Plantation, I'm going to read a meditation by Elizabeth, Elizabeth Tarbox. Elizabeth was a Unitarian minister. She's now since died. This was a, a book that was gifted to me by um, Glenda Walker. And Glenda and Elizabeth went to seminary together uh, at Harvard and were great friends throughout the remainder of Elizabeth's life. This meditation is entitled, Gratitude is Not Enough. The world is full of blessings. I have a home, a family, good fortune, good health. I have a job, a wonderful church family, and people whom I admire and respect to share my work. I have a place to go with my weight of disappointment and water to bathe my hurts. I have the vision of sunrise over the ocean every day and goals whose voices chorus my song, a choir of chanting whenever I want it. And I have memories. I have a heart for breaking and a melting fire in my blood to fracture my sanity and cause me to lie on the floor and cry to see children hungry, children dealing drugs, and children watching violence on television and in their homes. I have a pillow to catch my tears, voiceless trees to monitor my coming and going, and the wind to sing the requiem. I have politicians in white shirts and striped ties to keep guns in the hands of boys in blue jeans and t-shirts. I have drug lords and Cadillacs to keep crack babies in slums. I have poetry and ocean to remind me of the goddess and the goddess to remind me of AIDS and prejudice. Well, I refuse. I refuse to lie down and be good. I will not heal up neatly searchers in a row, no scars, no, I will not. I will shout out that I am here and hurting, and I will demand of life that it return my shout, decibel for decibel. I will speak of justice and kindness and beauty and truth, and I will try bravely, though I am a coward, and I will honor wisdom, though I am a fool. I will find other broken people with divinity shining through their pain to remind me that the human spirit is hard to defeat, that the world is young yet, and we are just an idea, that love is not forever, but a little love once in a while is worth the risk of keeping the door of our hearts wide open. And I look for goodness and know it when I see it. And I see it in you and your children and your dreams. And I can never be grateful enough. Therein ends our reading.
I take as my sermon text this morning, Habakkuk chapter 3, starting in the 17th verse. And the prophet writes, Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. This portion of scripture always comes to mind for me around Thanksgiving as it challenges us to think about what we are thankful for, even when things don't go the way we want. To put that another way, what is it that you will hold on to when your preferred self-image and all the attachments in your life stop working? For instance, like when a pandemic won't ever end or when a relationship is in shambles, or when sobriety keeps slipping from our grasp, or when the doctor tells us something we don't want to hear. What will you rejoice in when the news is bad? That is my question for all of you this morning. I can't help but think back to when I was a hospital chaplain whenever the holidays come around. Holidays mean something very different When you are so sick, doctors keep you from going home and put you in a gown that doesn't cover your backside. In the hospital on holidays, hectic hallways always got quiet, and they just sort of cleared out. And in visiting with patients on the holidays, they used to tell me that they absolutely hated having to be in the hospital on Thanksgiving or Christmas, but that they liked it more than other days because they could actually sleep. There weren't all those pesky insurance people and administrators and all those other supposedly necessary people around to pester them about health insurance and verifying phone numbers and addresses and emails. They could just sleep. I recall an afternoon on Christmas Eve when a heart surgeon, she paged me to see if I was free to join her for supper. And I truly believe that the holy can break through into any chance encounter, and so I grabbed my lunchbox, probably stuffed with a microwave dinner, and I went down to the post-surgery area where the surgeon was monitoring one of her patients. And we ate together our sorry excuses for Christmas Eve dinner under the beautiful fluorescent lights of an operating room. And I don't necessarily remember that we talked much. We just sort of sat together like strangers do in airport food courts. We were just thankful to be near another person in such an odd place. Now, people get sick on holidays, I've often heard described as a cruel joke. One of Robert Frost's short poems comes to mind whenever I think about this, and he writes, Lord, if you will forgive me all the little jokes I've played on thee, I will forgive the great big one you played on me. One holiday memory that keeps coming up for me these past couple weeks has to do with a woman in the hospital I once met who was in the throes of dementia. So I got a call from a nurse in a bit of a panic. She was worried and seemed that there was almost nothing that she could do to calm her down. The patient, for whatever reason, just couldn't stop crying, and this was causing mountains of grief for the doctors and nurses who just wanted this woman to feel comfortable and to have a good night's rest. And so after the health care workers exhausted all of their knowledge, they called the chaplain, I suppose, hoping that divine intervention might be on my side. And so I opened up the patient's chart, and I looked around for any clues about what I might say or do to comfort this woman. 
And the only insight that I got was that she's sick, that she doesn't sleep well, and that she registered herself at some point in her life as a Lutheran. Basically, I knew nothing about her. And I had been warned that the lady seldom talked, so I didn't go in expecting much of a conversation. And in truth, I went in mostly for those tired doctors and nurses who I thought deserved a break from having to deal with such a difficult situation on a holiday that I'm sure they'd rather be spending with friends and family. And so I walked into her room, I sat down next to her, and she stared at me with eyes that had obviously been crying for a long time. I always said what I always do. I said, I'm a chaplain, and I'm not here with good news or bad news. I'm just here to sit with you. I acknowledged that it said in her chart that she was a Lutheran, and I sort of wondered aloud with her. I said, would you like for me to pray with you? And she nodded, and so I did. And I usually traveled the hospital with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And I'd read the Bible with religious folks and the news with others, especially politics and sports, two things everyone agrees to disagree about. And after I finished praying, I asked if she wanted me to read the Bible with her. And she nodded yes, and so I flipped to the 23rd Psalm, and you know it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. And midway into the psalm, the woman who up to that point hadn't done anything for anyone other than answer yes or no and wail, she joined me in reciting the rest of the psalm. And so together we ended, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I was shocked by this. And I said, do you want me to read that again? Yes, she nodded, and after I got about midway through, she joined me for the rest of the psalm again. And so I flipped around and read a few more psalms, and after a while I noticed, either out of comfort or sheer boredom, she was asleep. And for those overworked doctors and nurses, it was their very own Christmas miracle. And I will freely admit that chaplains and ministers very rarely get to feel so useful in a practical sense, so I stayed around the unit gloating for a while before I went off to see the next patient. Now there's this old belief, maybe you're aware of it, that if you memorize something and have a feeling for it, what you memorize belongs to you. You don't need a book or a phone or a computer. It's just yours to say both day and night. If you think about actors, for instance, they memorize lines, and once they know them, they can create the character they're trying to play. But first, actors have to make those words their own. And I saw this come true at this church when a young woman stood behind this very pulpit and sang our children's song to the congregation. May peace surround you. And she sung it in honor of her dead grandmother. And what the granddaughter said was that one of the gifts her grandmother gave her was this church in her childhood and the words to that song which she now sings to her children each night before bed. Those words are hers, and one day they'll be her children's if they choose. Speaking of making words your own, I read a story written by Hector Tobar, and he chronicled the Chilean miners who in 2010 were stuck underground for 69 days after the mine they were in collapsed. 
And one of the 33 men in that mine, Jose Enriquez, he led those men in daily prayer. Enriquez would open every single one of his prayers with these words. We aren't the best men, but Lord, have pity on us. And they started every day just like this. And that prayer became theirs. And this is old-fashioned, but it still works. You don't have to be in the hospital or trapped in a mind to know the blessings of prayer or a psalm or a poem or anything that's meaningful to you. It's simply yours if you memorize it. I think the power poems or prayers have on us has to do with the fact that it's often the subtle noticing in life that tends to matter most. Certainly, life's delights can come from the grandest of things, but much delight comes from our attention to the little things. And I think holidays like Thanksgiving urge us to do the same. After all, it's not just the holiday that matters. In fact, for some, the holiday's meaning hardly matters at all. It's the time we spend with friends and family and the anticipation of being with them, the times when we stand back-to-back with children to mark their growing, the reminiscing about what this or that person might have said if they'd been around to hear the latest bit of family drama. It's about being with the people life's given us to live it with, It's serving people with a spirit of joy and gratitude. It's remembering that life and the people we're blessed to live it with are a gift. The poet Alberto Rios writes in his poem, When giving is all we have, these words. We give because someone gave to us. We give because nobody gave to us. We give because giving has changed us. We give because giving could have changed us. We have been better for it. We have been wounded by it. Giving has many faces. It is loud and quiet, big, though small, diamond and wood nails. Its story is old, the plot worn in the pages too, but we read this book anyway over and again. Giving is first and every time hand to hand, mine to yours. You gave me blue and I gave you yellow and together we were a simple green. You gave me what you did not have and I gave you what I had to give. And together we made something greater for the difference. We give because someone gave to us. We give because nobody gave to us. It is this willingness to give and be grateful that we celebrate each Thanksgiving. It invites us to express our gratitude, especially for the things we take for granted. And Thanksgiving also asks us to remember. Remember that your life is something you were given. Remember that in a world so filled with people beaten down by grief and sorrow that there are others out there reaching out to help them up. Holidays and holy days are like poems and prayers. They remind us that you and I have the power to see and reach out, the power to leave our isolation, the power to forget ourselves in order to be with one another. And this is the season to learn the joy of this once again. This is the season to teach yourself to love your life again to be grateful even in difficult times, to be gracious in trying times.
And so as we recommit ourselves to the practice of gratitude, let us remember that together we make something greater from the difference. Amen. You're welcome to rise in spirit or body for our closing hymn, 131, Love Will Guide Us. us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. You're welcome to have a seat and relax and enjoy the postlude. I'll see you soon.